0: All right. Look, I know it's been a tough time here school-wise. I just keep hearing about people getting uh, hammered by the old midterms and finals, try terms or whatever you want to call them. (laughs) 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 Uh, I don't really know the math there. Okay. um, But are we doing okay overall? I mean, yes. Okay. Uh, that's a loud crowdish back there. Uh, here's my real question: Can we recovered from the highlighter party? Yeah. Uh, are, are we still kind of covered in neon glory? <laughs> Any, of us? Any of us? And yes, it's a time of confession. I did do the worm on the floor of this garage, <laughs> and I'm still sore. <laughs> Just like you. <pickle. laughs> Now, I'm going to ask you something. You're going to have to shake your head back and forth furiously because you need to shake that mental image out of your mind right now. Otherwise, this is going to be a long evening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, except that I do the worm, I'm Sidney it, and <laughs> I'm addicted to bathroom dancing. It's true. It's true. I'm not I swear. For the sake of everyone. Uh, <laughs> I'm also the campus minister for this. i <laughs> also minister for this called RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, um, at New Mexico State University. You are here. Okay. Uh, RUF is a Christian campus ministry that exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, for the believer and the unbeliever. For the Kentucky Wildcats yeah. <laughs> and the Kansas Jayhawks. Oh! Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're gonna talk about the forgiveness, Jen. Maybe you can. You um, for the student who lives on campus, has an unlimited meal plan, and knows what time of year it is by how many flex points they have left. <laughs> And a student who lives at home, who lives off of hot pockets and ramen, mm-hmm. and knows what we're in by how close they can park to their class. <laughs> Both of you, everyone, welcome. And finally, are you up to exist for those of you who think Jesus was a nice guy who said <clears throat> tricky things? And those of us who think that Jesus was more than nice but less than tricky? Okay? In other words, whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you so much for coming. Welcome. I hope you feel welcomed. We're glad you're here. Um, if you're new to Ruf, the pressure is off. Off. Thanks for coming. Welcome. If this is if this is uh, been around for a while, there's still no real pressure. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe just get to know somebody new to you. Okay. Um, and a good way to do that's international lights afterwards, which we'll talk about more after uh, the end of this whole thing. Okay. Uh, so let's sign up. We'll just pass that thing around. If you want to get more involved in our UAF, what reviewing, if you want to get connected to other folks, the email sign up is good. If you email and sign up already. Don't um, you don't need to do that again, okay, for our sake and your sake. Uh, Facebook group and MSU app is also a wonderful way to get connected, okay? Um, so maybe go ahead and do that. Finally, Summer Conference, uh, we had some slides, there's an incredible piece of poster board out there uh, about Summer Conference. And here's the deal, Um, it's really cheap, $315 for 10 days, roughly nine days, 10 days, all expenses paid, if you pay the $315, obviously, and if you can't afford the $315, we're here to scholarship you. So just come and talk to me if you can't afford that. Um, Money will not be the reason you cannot go, okay? So we're gonna make sure that you if it's just a financial reason. Um, the other thing really to note, this is super important, there is a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can move my eyes. <laughs> um, first, oh, the uh, <laughs> so anyway, there's a deadline. The deadline is next Thursday, April 12th, I think, at 5 p.m. The, the gains of freedom not to shots. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so if you've been around up enough you know that's not so true. Okay. So there's a deadline. Please try to abide by it p.m. next Thursday. And we're just doing that because we've got to get vans for everybody, we've got to get fundraiser stuff going, so we need to make sure that we've got everything going so we can actually get there. Um, Also, have you seen our t-shirts? A couple of folks are wearing them over here. Um, They're awesome. Feel free to stare. And here's here's a little note of encouragement. You have my official permission, official permission, to buy one. $12. Okay? Um, Finally, one more thing. Um, The Christian faith has an important weekend coming up. Friday is called Good Friday. This is where we remember Jesus' death and the love that was behind all of that. And on Sunday, Christians honor Easter, that day where Jesus rose again from the grave. And um, in your bulletin, there's some info about a few local churches and what they're doing about Easter and Easter weekend. And I think these are really great opportunities to check out what Christianity is about and what we do if you're new to Christianity or you're not sure about Christianity. Easter is a pretty big holiday uh, for Christianity, Um, and, you know, maybe you can get past the fake plastic grass, and the baskets, and the awesome (laughs) chiclets, and it's also a great opportunity to remind you all about what REO is about, which is we're here to serve local churches, not replace them, okay, we're here to serve local churches, not to replace them, and that means that we're so glad you're here, we really are, we love that you're coming, um, and, and already is the church coming to campus to serve you all, but a Jesus loving church on us on Sunday mornings will give you even more good things than we can give you. Okay, so this is a supplement, not a replacement for church. Okay, um, again, we're here to serve you wherever you are. So maybe church is not where you're at right now. it's okay, but um, we're, we're not going to be in your office complex. Okay, when you grow up. Um, and you're a big, big, and strong, powerful um, <laughs> um I don't know, um, anyway, so, here we are. Okay? So, are you up, temporary fix to, to a big problem? Okay, which is all of us, we, most of all. Okay, so, this semester... We are looking at the book of Colossians. So I'm just going to keep moving. we got man behind We've got awkward and comfortable. We're just going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We're leaving them behind in are U.S. right now as we speak. Okay. I'm sorry that this isn't Vietnam. This is, this is, <laughs> <laughs> is, <a> <laughs> <laughs> is phenomenal. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> it was hard to keep in America. It's starting to It's so <laughs> To so my it it's my spiritual gift. If you look deep in the letters of Paul, you'll find that the spiritual gift of awkwardness. That's my deal. As you can tell. It's on record and forever. Okay, so what we're doing right now is large group, and in large group, we're discussing Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's the book of the Colossians in the Bible. Here's my best attempt at a title. Many of you have heard it before, but I'm going to say it again. What if enough was actually enough? What if enough was actually enough? How Jesus is all we ever really needed and wanted anyway. I think it title us a lot about what Paul's intending with the letter to the Colossians. Uh, but our passage tonight, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, is going to help explain a lot more about what that looks like in practice, what it means to live like Jesus is enough. And that's what we're kind of getting after. Uh, but before we dive into the passage, let me remind you where you're at. Okay. So, it's a so, the letter to the Colossians. Okay, the Colossians live in Colossa, which is in modern-day Turkey, the southwest corner. And Paul's writing. Paul's Jesus' follower. And he's writing under God's inspiration to remind the Colossians to remind us about what the gospel is. And the gospel is the good news about who Jesus really was and what he's really done for us. And so this letter started out with some introductions, like all good letters. Hey, I'm Paul, and this is my ministry, and you're Colossa in the Colossians, and you're doing your thing in modern-day Turkey. And this is this thing called the good news of the gospel. Okay. Also, um, that's in chapter 1. And then chapter 2 gives us this beautiful, brilliant, and ultimately very offensive description of how not to live. Okay. I said this last time, I think it bears repeating, doesn't it? Um, that basically in chapter two, Paul took us all by the collective shoulders and shook the religious snot out of us. All that fakeness inside of us is now gone. After three weeks spending on chapter two, maybe, maybe it's not, maybe it grows back. But he did a lot of effort there, okay? I know it's a really bad image. <laughs> Just wait, it gets better. <laughs> okay. Now in chapter 3, we see how to live. So in chapter 2, we saw how not to live. In chapter 3, we see how to live. And Paul, you can think of it as our trainer. We're in the corner, and he's coaching us on what it means to be fully and finally human. He's telling us how to love people even when life feels like a fight. That's what's going on in chapter 3. So we have a lot of mixed metaphors going here. Maybe you feel a little punch drunk. Look, I can't stop. I just can't. It's impossible. Okay? So, anyway, with all that in mind, can you turn to Scripture, chapter 3, verses, I'm going to read verses 1 through 17 for context, but we're really just going to make them focus on the last part, verses 12 through 17. So, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's in the bulletin. You can stand and read the Scripture as well. Okay. Book 5. The New Testament, that last quarter of the Bible is between uh 1 Thessalonians and uh, blanking on that. Awesome. Philippians, okay? So go past Romans if you hit Hebrews, you go too far. Okay? So Colossians chapter 3, we're gonna read the whole thing, but really just don't get overwhelmed. We're just gonna look at the last portion mostly, okay? If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, or Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with the glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living living in them. But now you must put away them all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and esteem talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not free and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay, now we're looking at the passage. This is now the passage that we're going to look at. For Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful to Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Friends, these are the words of God. They are more precious than gold, even much fine gold. And they are sweeter than honey even honey from the honeycomb. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, I just pray that you would be present. That the Spirit would fill us, that we would take away a lot from this very thick portion of Scripture. I pray, though, that you would help me to make it simple and clear. I pray that you would help our hearts to be eager to hear it. I pray that, Father, that Jesus be high and lifted up, that Eyes of our hearts would see him, and that we'd see him in all his brightness, all his light, and all his heat, and that we would know uh, what it's like to bask in the beauty and the believability of Jesus Christ. Father, that's our prayer. Uh, I pray that it would change us. I pray that we wouldn't be the same people that we came in as, that we would know you, Jesus, more, and be known by you, Jesus, more. And I pray, Father, that. Or through your love, that you're making us more and more beautiful. And I pray, Father, that even as we become more beautiful in your name, that we would see that your son's more beautiful. We ask these things in your son's name. Do we see this? All right. What if a few of the really great conspiracy theories are actually true? I'm not talking about the hateful or small-minded conspiracy theories, like who really killed John F. Kennedy? Or the moon landing was all a big fake. Or 9-11 was the result of bad engineering and not suicidal planes. Okay, those are not helpful. And while we're at it, Osama bin Laden is really dead, and the Holocaust did actually happen. Here's what I mean. Okay. What if what if we were actually the big conspiracy theories about all of reality are true. You know those theories about what's real is not necessarily what seems obvious. Those conspiracy theories about that what's real is not necessarily what seems most obvious. What if they're true? Go with me. Suspend your disbelief for a minute or two. Think about that very old and enduring cave analogy from the philosopher Plato. What if most of us, most of the time, think that life is something? That we think that what if things and people are actually just shadows cast upon a wall? There we are, metaphorically, in chains, in an underground cave, and behind us is a large fire and a walkway with people crisscrossing back and forth, carrying objects and statues. And in front of us, there's this wall that reflects the light of the fire. And the shadows of the people and the objects that they're carrying. And these shadow people and these shadow objects are what we think is real. Is what life is all about. What if that is actually the way it is? But Plato takes it even further, right? He says, look, what if there's one man that breaks free of the chains and is made to look into the blinding brightness of the fire behind him? And then he's dragged up into the, side the sunlight, if equally, if not more, blinding. But after his eyes recover and he sees real people and real objects for the first time, he sees reality for the very, very first time. And this free and fully aware man goes back down underground, returns to the cave, and returns to his friends still in chains. And guess what he does? He tells them, he tells us, That the world is more than shadows. That life is more than just a cave wall that everyone tells us is really actually what life's all about. And the question is this, tonight. Do we believe this man who was blinded but now claims that he truly sees? Okay, some of you are snoring in your heads. Let me make a science fiction version of Plato reality. Okay? called The Matrix. Have you seen it? Okay. Are you, am I, going to take the red pill or the blue pill? That's what I'm asking. Okay. Are you going to take the red pill or the blue pill? In the words of Morpheus, and this is Plato, the Platonic philosopher, the Plato philosopher turned cyberpunk. Okay. <laughs> Florence Fishburne he can do anything. Um, you take the blue pill, this is his words. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit, hill, rabbit hole goes. Okay? That's the question. The question Plato and films like The Matrix are really asking is this. Do you want to stay ignorant but comfortable, in chains but entertained? Or, do you want to know that often uncomfortable truth, a freedom that's hard? And clearly this question is not just Plato's or the Wachowski brothers' question. They're the director's and writer's Matrix. <laughs> okay? so, I don't know how else he's Wachowski, and I don't even have to say it. Okay, they are pointing to the questions behind there's a, there, these two movies, this movie and this story, and many other conspiracy theories about reality are pointing to a greater question. It's a question behind all of these questions, okay? And it's this. There's a divine conspiracy of foot. There's a divine conspiracy of a God-inspired vision that took the world by storm around 2,000 years ago and continues to turn lives like mine upside down on a daily basis. It's the gospel. It's the central message of Christianity, the central message of Jesus Christ. And who better to lean over our our shoulders and whisper revolution into our ears than a bald-headed, bow-legged, Man and small in size, with meeting eyebrows and a rather large nose. That's how Paul is described by a contemporary. (laughs) A man named Paul tells us this truth, who who was put together, who formerly in his previous life put to death conspirators, until he himself was blinded by the light and the reality of the resurrected. So, Colossians chapter 3 outlines some of the central features of that divine conspiracy. That uncomfortable truth about what it means to be truly free. And the question is, are we going to buy it? Are we going to buy the implications and the applications of what it means to be united by faith in Jesus? In Paul's words, to be in Jesus, and for Jesus to be in us. And for some of us here... What it means to live by Jesus is not something new. It's old. But this truth needs to be renewed for us daily, moment by moment refreshed. Otherwise, we find ourselves sitting down in the chains again and counting the shadows as what's real. Yet again. Saying and doing the unloving things that we used to say. And for others, this is a brand new truth. Jesus, in the love that he gives us and then promotes among us, may sound familiar, but it's a flavor of life you're not very sure you want to try. Maybe tonight is the night you weigh the cost, the heft, of the red pill. and decide to take it. My point is this, regardless of who you are and where you are, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 is speaking to you and it's speaking to me, and it's saying, it's whispering a free, but difficult truth. It's this, Jesus has literally loved his people to his death. Jesus has literally loved his people to his death. And Jesus' love transforms our lives into lives of love. Okay, So Jesus has literally loved his people to his death, and Jesus' this love is transforming our lives into lives of love. That's the truth. That's the divine conspiracy. And our passage tonight is all about defining what love means. So if you're sort of already thinking, thanks, Sid, I love love. I'm all about love. Love is all we need, right? That's, that's fine. But here's what our passage is doing. It's defining love. It's showing us what love looks like in practice. It does so in two different sections. First, in verses 12 through 14, we see that love is not about getting what you want. Love is not about getting what's yours. Instead, love is fundamentally about patience and forgiveness. And second, in verses 15 through 17, we see that love is not about getting ahead of other people. Instead, love is fundamentally about encouraging others and thanking God. Okay, let me put it simply verses 12 through 14. Tell us this. Love isn't sexual exploitation. It's laying your life down. Verses 15 through 17 are telling us this. Love isn't verbal warfare, it's lifting others up. Okay? You sure we're going to take the red pill? Here we go. So, but before I begin kind of sorting through the nuances of like the definition of love and what Paul is saying and not saying about love in verses 12 through 14, I'd like to answer two burning questions. You read this passage, we read this passage together, and here we are with two burning questions that I feel in the pit of my stomach when I read this passage, and my guess is you feel it too. First question, where do we get the power to think, to feel, and to do all of this love? Second question, what does this love really look like in my actual life? Okay, so where do we get the power to do this love? And what does this love actually look like in my real life? Those are the two questions I think that this passage presents. So let me ask the let's, let me answer the first one again. So where do we get the power to think and to do and to feel this love? That's the question. Let me, let me look for an answer with you. And here's why we're asking the question. When I'm brutally honest with myself, which happens sometimes, not all the time, Okay? <laughs> I feel the failure to love people a lot of the time. Okay. And this real-life exhaustion is why Paul is at pains to show us over and over and over again in this passage. Why, what is this actual power that helps us love people? Okay. He does it several times. So let's look first at verses 1 through 4. That's why I gave you some context. It's did your bulletin. Okay. We talked a fair bit about this last week. I'm just—I'm not going to rehash that. Okay. I'm just going to give you the takeaway. And the takeaway is this: It still applies to verses 12 through 17, by the way. Okay. <laughs> That's the first takeaway. The second takeaway is: If we believe that Jesus died and rose again from the grave, if we trust the gospel story and not the culture, cultural shadows, we become united to Jesus Christ. And union with Christ means this. What is true of Jesus is now true of us. What happened to our spiritual head, Jesus, now happens to Jesus' body, us. Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection are ours, and all of their power, and all of their glory, and all of their forevermore approval. What a motive for love that is. Let me unpack it further. All of these motives and all of these energies that Jesus Christ is giving us all of the time He's giving them to us through his Holy Spirit inside of us. And because we are spiritually, somehow, mysteriously, inside of Jesus. That's how this is working. And this is what verse 10 is talking about, okay? The second part. He's saying, look, you put off the old self with this practice, and you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. That's what verse 10 is getting at being renewed inside out and outside in and all of these background verses bleed into our passage tonight don't worry I'm not going to go into three sermons I'm just doing one okay our passage tonight Paul calls out those who count the gospels true and he tells them this you are God's chosen ones holy and beloved man I could spend an evening on each of those words on chosen on holy and on beloved. Okay, more than an evening on some of those words. Okay? Um, I really, but I don't have time, so let me summarize it by saying this. Okay, I'm going to say it this way. In and through Jesus, God chooses to love us, not because of any beauty that we bring to the table, but rather because God's love transforms us into lovely lovers. Okay? God's love transforms us into people who now have the ability to love. That's the definition of holy. God's love transforms us into people who now are beautiful, especially to God. That's the definition of beloved. Or think of it this way. That divine conspiracy, the gospel story about who we now are, dancing and hugging and leaping in the sunlight outside of that cave, that story of who we are now defines the shape of our lives, what we live for, how we behave, how we relate to other people. We're not, we're not commenting passively on two-dimensional shadows anymore. We're now living with a three-dimensional, bright and beautiful set of human beings and set of objects. That's a way different understanding of reality. It's a way different way to but some of you are rightly unsatisfied right now. You're stewing in your shoes, in your shoes you're, you're angry, you're brooding, you're seeing, you're thinking to yourself, well, Sid, another beautiful picture, all that leaping and dancing and hugging in the sunshine, all that lovely lovers bit, that's awesome, that's clever, but it's a bit, bit vague, isn't it? I can't see my teeth in the lovely lovers, okay? Help me out here, help me out. What does this love described in verses 12 through 17 really look like in my actual life? What's the deal? Okay? I mean, think about it this way. This all seems so shiny and so happy, right? When's the last time that you or I were walking between Corbett and Zul and we saw each other and we sang out Christian songs back and forth? <laughs> you know, like... Some of you are more hand-based, okay? So, <laughs> immortal, invisible, you know, start doing that whole thing. Okay, that's, that's not happening, I realize all the time. So allow me again to appeal to context about what I think Paul's trying to say about what love looks like. This will hopefully define love better. I'm going to start with a teaser, a trailer, if you will. The next week will help you, okay? It will help define love better, Look at, verses, look at chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, and give a Bible. That will help us define love better. Because Paul there is talking about the different relationships that we live in. The different relationships that we live under and that we work in. Okay, But we don't need to get ahead of ourselves. It's already a lot to cover. Okay, We can also look backwards at verses 5 through 11. And they tell us bluntly what love doesn't look like in our lives. Look, I hinted at this last week, right? Love doesn't look like what I call sheepish headbutting, sheepish bleeding, and sheepish wool-gathering, okay? And that is using and abusing people with sex and words, and and using and abusing people with a lust to get what's ours, and an anger to get ahead, okay? That's not love. And you see, this is the deal. Sometimes it helps us to understand what something is, by knowing what it's not. Okay? And that's what this passage is doing. Love is not sexual exploitation. Love is not verbal warfare. Okay? After all, these are two very popular definitions of love in our culture. I mean, they would probably put it love is sex, erotic love. And our culture would also put it love is manipulation. Getting someone to love you without any. And what's so interesting is that these are still popular definitions even now, and they certainly were in Paul's day as well. It's part of our human nature. The cave's cultural shadow show. The cave's cultural shadow show doesn't change that much, after all, does it? Okay. So let's define what love is by what it's not. And this approach is really at the heart of the verse, verses 9 through 10 and verse 12 in our passage, okay? Finally, we get to verse 12. (laughs) We put off the old self with its sinful and abusive practices, and we put on instead the new self with its righteous and loving practices. Okay, let me give you a couple of metaphors which will really help. Okay, I hope. Just like I take away the scissors, the harmful scissors from my 19-month-old daughter Carol, and instead give her an enjoyable... Teddy bear, like, oh. Okay? That's what's going on here. Okay? Put off, put off. Or if you're into gardening or maybe landscaping, maybe in your dorm, <laughs> windowsills, or maybe for summer jobs, we're going to be supervisor or manager, I don't know. We have to pull the weeds in order to make room for the flowers. Okay? That's kind of what's going on. Finally, the metaphor that Paul here is preferring is about wardrobe changes. Okay? It's so a wardrobe change. He's saying, we've got to take off the white t-shirt that's now ruined by our mess. Maybe it's atomic wing sauce. Mm. Or maybe it's glow-in-the-dark highlighter paints. Okay? <laughs> and we have to put on a clean, ever-new white t-shirt. Again, those are moral categories, so don't take me too literally on wing sauce. Okay, So, briefly... With that in mind, let's look at what exactly verses 12 through 14 are telling us to put on. Okay, so there we are, I'm giving you my giant practice, i try to answer two questions. i have trying to sit there and say, how do we do this? And the answer is Jesus, and being united to Christ by faith. And I ask, what does this look like? And I said, well, I can tell you one thing, it's going to look like something cool next week. And then I told you another thing, which is that it's, it's not sexual exploitation, it's not verbal warfare, Okay. So again, we're not putting on sexual exploitation and calling it love. Love is not the desire nor the act of getting what belongs to someone else. Okay? Whether that someone else is a flesh and blood boyfriend or cyber female stranger, that's not love. Baby, don't hurt me. Instead (laughs) people. So, I, I can every time I say what is love I have to say that I'm not going to wiggle my hips I already did the worm that instead love is actually laying down your life for another okay love is patiently bearing someone even and especially when they're difficult and when someone else hurts us love is for other person, forgiving the other person look I've I've started to do a lot of premarital counseling and I had a really honest moment the other day um the couple that I was premarital pastor with here, one of them asked me this. They asked me if we really have to forgive people all the time. Okay. It's real. Okay. Uh, and that's a wonderfully honest question, right? And verse 13 gives us very clear and difficult advice. What does it say? Yes, we forgive. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's painful work, but we're always working towards forgiving other people even when your friend ignores you, even when your girlfriend belittles you in public, even when your family typecasts you as a failure, you feel like you could never get outside of their expectations. Even and especially then, This is counterintuitive stuff, okay? Admittedly, when someone hurts us, when someone sins against us, everything in us wants to sin and hurt them back. That makes total sense. We think we will hurt less if that person hurts more, that's what we think. But the Bible commends us a different course of action. It says, look, we are called to forgive sin, to not fight hate with hate, but to fight hate with love. Jesus tells us to absorb the silent treatment, to absorb the insults, to absorb the condescending compliments that end with a golf clap. Why? Because Jesus absorbed the insults, the silent treatment, and all of the other condescending moments that we have every day with him on the cross, 2,000 years ago, outside of ourselves, once and for all. And practically speaking, when I hurt someone else in revenge, the only person I'm actually hurting is me. Do we get that? Let me put it this way, this is someone else's words. Revenge is the poison that we drink, in order to kill somebody else. Poison is the I'm sorry, revenge <laughs> is the poison that we drink in order to kill somebody else. We're the only ones dying on that hill of hatred. Do you see that? Likewise, verse 12 encourages us to seemingly impossible heights, right? We're to have an inward attitude of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience okay King James Version translation are we ready for this some of us love this translation I think it's a really good translation here okay it makes us understand that virtues are not just actions that're inward attentions okay King Jimmy tells us this okay put on bowels of mercy bowels of mercy okay that's what what is that saying mercy or compassion starts deep within with it. Similar with other virtues. Kindness is a Christ-like attitude towards other people. Humility is a Christ-like attitude um, towards yourself. Meekness is approaching someone else without rude arrogance. So meekness is approaching someone else without rude arrogance. Patience is reacting to someone else without resentment. But at least for me, it's very, very hard to study these virtues without feeling so inadequate I don't even want to try anymore. That's where I am. To truly be meek, to truly be humble, to truly be patient, to truly forgive, seems so out of reach. Look how high the standard is. Bowels of mercy. Okay. <laughs> that, but that's forgetting that we love inside of our unity. Do we get this? Union with Christ means that the resurrected Christ is working inside of us and through us by his spirit. Jesus is finishing the works of love that we start. (laughs) This means the half-hearted but well-intentioned conversations that we have with our parents on the phone the well-meaning ways we try to do community service but end up standing around the entire time, the half-complete times we speak the gospel into our friends' lives, all of these things, all of them, all of them, Jesus completes, and he makes them matter. What we do here on earth echoes eternity. These acts of love matter, Because God is using them. God is using them. And you know what? He's not just using our second best efforts to love people. God is using our second best selves, who we are most of the time, to love people. Do you get this? Do you get how radically unbelievable this is? He's working through all of us with all of our trash and all of our baggage. He's working with us, through us, with parents who live like out of love roommates. He's living like us who can't stop calories and are trying to stop, can't stop counting calories and trying to make up the difference through exercise and laxatives. He's working through us who can't stop getting felt up or feeling other people up. He's working through us with a brother or a sister who cannot stop buying or selling drugs. He's working through us. He wants to work through us to make all things new. All things new, all things beautiful, all things true. And this is true because my feelings, my take on life, don't have, does not have the final word. Do you get that? Neither is yours. God's love, Jesus' finished work on the cross 2,000 years ago, that's the final word. That's the period. That's the exclamation part. It tells me and it tells you, that work tells me and tells you, keep on loving. Keep on loving. Jesus is working through you, even when you think you're failing. So, Jesus is making our small efforts to lay down our lives to do big things. He's certainly using our words, He's empowering our attempts to lift other people up. Look at verses 15 through 17. They're all about positioning our words, whether sung or spoken, towards bettering someone else. Okay? And this looks like encouraging those around us, pointing others, pointing others and ourselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to his forgiveness on the cross when we fail. That's what verse 16 is about. And praising the delightful ways in which we image the dignity of God. This also looks like thanking God. And that's what verse 17 is all about. Thanking God in everything that we do everything that we say. But what does this thankfulness and this encourage, encouragement really look like? I've got two thoughts, and they fast. Verse 11. Look at verse 11, okay? That's what it looks like. It looks like humanity without divisions. It looks like humanity without segregation. It looks like humanity without ethnic and racial and cultural and job-related and social, socioeconomic positions. It is like faded battle lines inside in the time of peace. There are no more trenches they've been filled in. Second, think again about what we're putting off. Verbal love looks like the opposite of using our words to get ahead of others. We no longer massage our friendships. We no longer do this. We're called not to do this. To get people to like us. To get people to do what we want. Saying things like, of course, I should always be in charge of our weekend plans. Or using, or doing things that cut down other people, that belittle them so that we can get what we want. For instance, remember the last time you decided where we were going to go? Boring. <laughs> this human eros love, this human erotic love, is contrasted with the divine agape love. I love the way that Frederick Beaker puts it. I have to to my man. My man crush, my bromance, Frederick Okay. He picks up on the differences between human eros and divine agape. This is how it goes. Eros love is a love that reaches upwards. It's a love for what we need to fill our emptiness. It's a love for what is lovely and lovable. And here's his imagery. I I want you to see this illustration. He says Eros love is an engraved picture of a tiny human figure. With a ladder pitched towards the moon, and underneath in block capital words, I want. I want. These are the words that Eros always speaks. Not so with agape. Agape love does not want, it gives. It's not empty, it's full to overflowing. And this is Beaker's illustration. He says, Look, agape is in the tale of Beauty and the Beast. Okay? In which beauty does not love the beast because the beast is beautiful. It's beauty's love that makes the beast beautiful. Do you get that she doesn't love him because he's beautiful? Her love transforms him into something beautiful. And there's no doubt, he continues, that Eros ends. Even in its noblest forms, Eros' love ends when desire becomes undesirable. It ends where desire ends. It ends where someone is not desirable anymore. But agape, on the other hand, is, is without end. As God is without end. Because it's the essence of God. That is what Paul experienced in the Damascus Road, where he found out that one who had every cause to deplore him, every cause to, to forsake him, loved him. That beetle-browed, bow-legged, Christian baker named Paul. That same Paul penned this very page this very passage about divine agape love and so we're back to the beginning aren't we we're back to the start we're back, right back to all the divine conspiracy talk whispered by a blinded seer named Paul so what will it be for us for you and for me what will it be, where will we choose to live by the eros love of exploitation But the agape love of self-sacrifice. Are we going to dance in the sunlight? Or are we going to hunker down in a cave? Are we going to take the blue pill? Or are we going to take the red pill? And here's the bigger question. Have you ever felt somebody, have you ever felt the warmth of the sun? Spiritually speaking. Even if it's just through the light and the heat of someone recklessly loving you ever felt that? C.S. Lewis did. He felt it through J.R. Tolkien, that Hobbit writer extraordinaire, wildly loved Lewis into the sunlight. And here's what Lewis says about the experience, I think, about love. It's one of my favorite lines in all of C.S. Lewis. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun rises. Not because I see it, but because I see everything by it. Okay, let me say it again. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not because I see the sun, but because I see everything else by the sun. Sometimes this side of heaven, we believe all the more in an invisible God because of the very visible love of his followers. By the awkward love of a bald-headed, bow-legged, browed man named Paul. By the awkward love of many of us in this room. By the awkward love of an awkward man like me. Did Father, gossiping, hiring, good, good rest, I pray that we would find in your son, your love, in your care for us, Jesus. <laughs> Um, I pray that this would be made. Let's give it hands and feet in our hearts. Help us to live this out. Help us to rest in you, Jesus. Trust that you're working through um, second best things, second best people, second best efforts. And help us to continue to do whatever effort we can to love other people in the sunlight. We ask these things to do something.